This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it is, well, I have a lot to talk about. And um, earlier in the evening, as uh, we, as I've told you before, we had the great Phyllis Schlafly Collegians, the 28th annual. And we had Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Josh Hawley sent a video. He's traveling, I think it was. We, in, in the office, in the, in the, in the office in Washington, D.C., the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we had Congressman Burgess Owens, Super Bowl champion, now a congressman from Utah, we had uh, Tom Massey, congressman from Kentucky, has 30 patents. We had Louis Gomer, congressman from Texas, who is uh, was a former judge. Now that I tell you that, when you see him speak, you're like, yeah, I can tell he was a judge. And congressman Pete Sessions, who actually is the best guy I know on the election fraud issues. He understands it. Most of them don't. Most of them don't believe it. All those guys in our office. We also had Todd Benzman from the border about the immigration issue. You've heard him here on the program. We also had uh, uh, the uh, very interesting Seth Dillon, who is the owner and CEO of the Babylon Bee, which is one of my favorite things in the world right now because that satiric website and uh, Twitter presence is awesome. And we finished all of it up with the great General Mike Flynn and talked about his initiative, Raise the Flag, Say the Pledge, uh, hashtag, or Raise the Flag, Say the Pledge.com. So really great. If you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see the hi- some of the highlights. And within the next 48 hours, maybe 72 hours, we'll start posting each of the segments. There were almost 20 of them at the Collegians Summit, helping to educate young people, the college-age students, about what's going on, some tactics on how to, how to fight back, and especially making sure that the good guys and gals get their voices lifted up. And uh, you'll really like it. One of the best interviews of the evening, Bridget Van Means, a woman who has led the fight for pro-life out of uh, the heart of the country and heart of the heart of America. A really good, good lady. Uh, so anyway, check all that out. PhyllisLafley.com. All right. Let me get to what you need to know today. I could talk about Joe Biden. I've done radio interviews, TV interviews all day long uh, about Joe Biden's trip, about how he looks feeble. He doesn't look steady. He his policies have shifted. One minute he's got a press conference and then he wait. They, they all show up for the press conference. Two and a half hour later, two and a half hours later, they come out because they basically misstated what they wanted to have happen. There's all kinds of miscommunications. It's not a strong performance. And I could spend my time talking about that, but I prefer not to. In fact, I talked a little bit about that yesterday on the program you go to proamericareport.com and sign up there excuse me and see the inter- see my comments from yesterday also sign up for the daily email and I'll probably send some e- some out in my email tomorrow about that but I what I want to talk about instead and this is monumentally important and I know you hear me say that some, but this is really serious. I have had on the show, I think it was last week, Julie Kelly. Julie Kelly is now an accomplished author. She's written a book uh, on the uh, Trump era, but she she tweeted early in the day on Tuesday about Joe Biden's, quote, domestic terrorism plan of attack. And I read her tweet and then I clicked through to the fact sheet from the national. It's called the National Strategy for Counting, Countering Domestic Terrorism. And she pointed out, and this woman right now, she is seeing the playing field of what's happening in this country in the political slash legal environment like nobody else. And if you look at her Twitter feed or or or, or, or uh, see her, she's been on Tucker Carlson. She's been on uh, all the different Newsmax channels. She's all over the place. Mark Levin's show. She is seeing the playing field better than anybody. And she focused, honed in on the January 6th effort 
effort by the narrative machine to frame what happened as this great insurrection, armed insurrection. And so now today, excuse me, earlier on Tuesday, not today, Tuesday, she pointed me towards this set of documents and I went in and dug in and we are dealing with a real problem. As she wrote, the, this is a quote from the document from the Biden administration, quote, the U.S. government in close partnership with civil society will address the long term contributors that are responsible for much of domestic of today's domestic terrorism. And you say, oh, well, domestic terrorism, what's that? Well, domestic terrorism and Merrick Garland talked about this in a press conference yesterday. It, it, domestic terrorism is the threat that people are facing in this country. And the biggest one, he said, is based on the racial, the idea of superiority of one race over the other, especially white supremacy. Now, if you're saying to yourself, um, I see a lot of things that are problematic in this country, but I don't see a lot of violence of, of white supremacy. I don't recognize that as the threat. We got people being shot in every major city. Why? Because white Democrats, this maybe this is what he means. White Democrats in power in big cities are the ones that are allowing black people to die. And I see structural, uh, I see structural racism in the black and inner city schools that are heavily black and minority. And guess who runs that? White Democrats, by and large. So if that's what he means, that's not what he means. What he means is they're set up a, a, a boogeyman. And they're setting up a boogeyman so that they can do what? So that they can use the power of government against we the people. And all you have to do is look at who's in charge. You know, uh, the coverage in, in Europe has speculated on Kamala Harris becoming president very soon because uh, Joe Biden looks so feeble. He's being pulled around by his wife. He, he's having these, you know, five, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes of pauses during his answers because he's just having this brain freezes. People are saying, oh, Kamala Harris is going to be in charge. No, no. They're going to keep him like weekend at Biden's and they're going to keep him there. And who's in charge is the same person who's been charged since he won the race and since he's been in office. And that's a woman named Susan Rice. And Susan Rice, along with a coterie of others, there's a woman named Monaco, Monaco, who's over. And by the way, I'm only, I know Susan Rice because I watched what she did to Flynn and I've seen what she's done. But a lot of the rest of this I learned from Julie Kelly. And if you read her closely, Monaco is a woman that is over, Lisa Monaco is over in the Department of Justice, number two. Merrick Garland is number one, but Lisa Monaco, Merrick Garland is just the, is the Joe Biden of the Justice Department. And Lisa Monaco is the Susan Rice. That's how this game is working. And these are ruthless, not just partisans, but people who believe that they are so right that everybody else is wrong and they're going to make you pay if you're not in line. And so what Julie Kelly points out and what you can go look at, the fact sheet of the National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. Do, do you see domestic terrorism on your street corner? Do you feel it? Do you, anyone in this country that is not brainwashed by big tech and big media that can honestly say, you know what I'm afraid of is, is domestic terrorism. I feel like that's around the corner. Nonsense. Nonsense. You're afraid of violence in our cities. You're afraid of inflation in our, in our, our stores. You're, infra- you're afraid of incompetence in our communities. You're afraid of a lot of things. Domestic terrorism is not what you're afraid of. And when the government spends its time, remember what I told you, the narrative machine? The narrative machine is big tech, change your brain, neuroscience, big media, brainwashing, use the technology and the skills to brainwash people, big academia, 
take the youth, take the youth and, and, and mess them up, make them rudderless, make them anchorless. You take those three and now get, remember, the narrative machine isn't just those three. That would be enough. It's not what, that's not it. The fourth, the, the, the batting cleanup in the narrative machine is big government. And when you see the White House put out a fact sheet on the national strategy for countering domestic terrorism, what you know is now we're seeing the narrative machine in overdrive. And it has to believe, it has to force the narrative that January 6th is the emblem of, of an insurrection of white supremacy. Honestly, if you were there on January 6th, I walked from the ellipse up towards the Capitol. I did not see... Oh, even a white crowd. There was lots of people of every color and every shape and every background and lots of people that were unshowered and unshaved and some people that were black, white, whatever. It was not and there was nothing about it that screamed of white supremacy or domestic terrorism. But that doesn't matter. Be warned and read Julie Kelly because and listen to her. Find her. She's on a bunch of radio shows, but on my show a lot, but she's on a bunch of radio shows. She's on Tucker a lot. Find her and understand what she's doing. Go back and read everything she's written since about January 1st of this year, because she started writing about the problem of the big lie, how the media was trying to change the equation from the problems in November 3rd and say, if you say there are problems on November 3rd, you got something wrong with you. And then she was the first one who said, January 6th, aha, they're going to lie about this, just like they did the Russia hoax, just like they did the other hoax. And here it comes. And she's been writing. But be forewarned that the narrative machine is being used. Again, it's big tech changing your brain and the brain of people around you. Big media brainwashed with all the tech, all the, all the expertise brainwashing of the CIA and every other intelligence agency. In fact, you got John Brennan, you got McCabe, you got Clapper, all the senior intelligence people just snapped right up, hired by the big media, and they're all there. Okay, so you got big tech change your brain, big media brainwash you. And then you have two things, the big academia killing our kids, unmooring our children, young people. And then here comes big government. And it's the big government hammer that in the last 24 hours, Julie Kelly put her finger on and described a hundred million dollars to to have DOJ, FBI and the Department of Homeland Security focus and make sure the federal government is focused on targeting who they say are domestic terror threats, who they say they'll pick them out. There's nothing, there, there's nothing about this that has to do with the truth. There's nothing that has to do about this that has to do with reality. It's who they say they'll define it. They'll define the narrative and you and I and others will pay the price. And, you know, the interesting thing about this is that Julie Kelly, I watch her. She gets retweeted by by real civil libertarians, you know, guys like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi, who write about this all the time. And and uh, even, you know, Snowden, Ed Snow, Edward Snowden came out and has a Substack now is writing on this on civil liberties. And everybody agrees that the ACLU and all these groups that are supposed to be for limiting government scope are nowhere to be found. They're not clear. It's not clear where they are. And we should be worried. All right, that's my message. All right, th- th- thank you for uh, uh, everything Julie Kelly does. I mean, we should thank her all the time. She's a, she's she should be getting every award under the sun, but she's um, at least she's getting recognized by smart people like us. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be back. We'll get a, a message from Josh Holly, and we also will um, follow up. I'll wrap some things up. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. It's been a while since we talked to Kathy Barnett. Kathy Barnett is an author, 
She's appeared all over TV. She was a candidate in the past, and uh, she is an. Uh, I mentioned she's an author, military veteran, also an important thing. Mom, uh, Christian. I'm listening to all these things, Kathy. But now she has announced just a few. I guess it's about six or eight weeks ago. It's a lot longer than I thought, and I meant to have. Her, I'm meaning to have her on. She has announced that she's running for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, Kathy Barnett. And uh, if you want to check out her website, you can go to Barnett for senate.com and barnett has an e on the end so it's b-a-r-n-e-t-t-e barnett for senate.com i'll put it up on social media welcome back kathy how are you i am doing well thank you so much for having me uh you're welcome and thanks for coming back i appreciate you being in the uh, in the ring and in the battle and uh, out there now kathy um pennsylvania uh, how how is Pennsylvania? I haven't heard much, and I'm being honest with you about in terms of listening to the news. We heard we watched um, uh, Andrew Cuomo make a mess in New York so dramatically. We, I do remember uh, Governor Wolf of Pennsylvania having some issues, but it, it, right now it's been quiet. Is is Pennsylvania reopened? Is it reopening? Are people getting back to uh, the new normal? I think people are, in spite of the governor and his restrictions, his closures. Uh, you're, uh, you may be aware that a couple of weeks ago in May, we had our primary, and on the primary, uh, we had um, some ballots, uh, and the ballots was to significantly restrict the powers, the emergency powers that uh, Governor Wolf has used over the past 15 months to close down this state. And the people voted, and they voted overwhelmingly to take away the governor's ability to just ad hoc, just have all of these different restrictions and closures. And so that was a win for the people. Very excited about that. Uh, now, how, how how have you seen, now you're running for U.S. Senate, Toomey's retiring, uh, Senator Toomey, uh, and he... I, I would say he has had a mixed record. He's certainly been a um, a, a Republican, and he's been a, a center right voter. But he's it seems like he's taken sort of um, more opportunity to be a pain towards uh, President Trump than is necessary. What? How do you how do you carefully evaluate? You know, you're not running against him, and you sort of turn the page. Right. But how do you evaluate uh, his tenure? You know, the way that I evaluate a little bit of everything right now is remaining focused. We have um, a group, not not the entire Democrat Party, but there is a very real and powerful group within the Democrat Party. We call them the radical left, liberals, progressives, and they are very determined. And these people are the ones that we, at this moment, at this juncture in time, I feel strongly that we should be putting all of our attention and our focus on getting these people out of office. They're not going to relinquish the power that they've attained, that they've obtained. They're, we're going to have to pry it out of their hands. And it's the very reason why I'm running uh, for U.S. Senate is because I am focused on what really is at stake. And right now, I believe it's our republic. I, these people are not playing with us. They are very determined to fundamentally change this nation. And who would have ever thought that the, that the, that's, that the existence of the Republic was in the hands of Manchin. But that's exactly where we find ourselves right now. And it's a very <laughs> yeah. unnerving position to be in. 
Well, and now, so, and your your life uh, story, when I've heard you talk about it before, and I've seen you speak, it's very impressive, but, you know, you, you, you grew up in the South, and you didn't have much, and you got out because you got in the military, and you built your own life, and you're, you sort of are always smiling and saying, hey, this is a great place because of the opportunity that everybody has. How do you, and so, it's not that you, I'm, I'm speaking for you, but it's not that you haven't had uh, racism against you at some point, you probably have had sexism against you, I mean, you're a woman, and, and so there you have it. But here we are at this moment, and critical race theory is, it's like accelerating into telling everyone that's actually all we are, is racist and sexist as a nation. And it's, it's insane, actually, isn't it? It's evil. Critical race theory. Hmm. You know, the previous administration had a mantra, make America great again, Critical race mm-hmm. theory will make America racist again. We are going to churn out little races. Uh, so that's exactly what is happening when you take critical race theory, which is nothing more than an identity-based Marxism. It's the, it's the exact same Marxism of old. They just remove worker uh, and replaced it with identity, whether it's race or ethnicity or orientation or whatever other nuance they can find that will bring agitation. And why are they trying to agitate the people? Because if I can divide you, I can control you. I can get you to do right. what I want you to do. Marxism never comes into a country in order to improve that country. It comes into the country to overthrow the country. And you can see that as you watch when Marxism goes into uh, Russia, communist, uh, China, communist, Cuba, communist, Venezuela, communist, and now it's here. It's not only in our colleges, which I think we have found some kind of uh, weird way, weird um, acceptance of it, but now is they're teaching it in our kindergarten, in our first grade, second grade. But it's not only there, it's being taught in our military. You know, and I spent 10 years in the U.S. Army Reserves. I would, I made a decision that had I uh, been called to lay my life down for this country, I would have. Now, I went through a process of understanding what exactly it is I would have been called to lay my life down for. And I agreed with the, with, with, with the, with the principles of this nation. And so I would have laid my life down had I been called. Gratefully, I wasn't. But you cannot tell me that had I been told and had swallowed the pill of critical race theory or the pill that this nation is systemically evil and racist at its core, everything is racist. You cannot. I would not have laid my life down for that. And so it unnerves me when I see that in our military, it is a very prominent part of the teaching now in our military. And I find it very unnerving that we will have these people going out there trying and and putting their lives in very precarious situations for a nation that they're being told is evil. So I don't think we're going to be better for this little uh, trial that we're doing, uh, for this period of time that we find ourselves in, I think it's very unnerving. We're talking with Kathy Barnett, and again, uh, she's running for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. You can find out more about her at barnettforsenate.com. It's up on my social media. Uh, and also, you, I think you said at Kathy4, the number four truth. By the way, it's Kathy, excuse me, it's Barnett4, uh, the letters F-O-R, for Senate. It's all on my, all, all my social media. Uh, Kathy, I was, you and I have known each other for years now and had time at Stan Casasio's house. In fact, I think I might see you later, uh, maybe in a week mm-hmm. or two. I know I'm going to be up there and Stan. But um, 
I was with General Flynn, and we were having a conversation, and he said, there's somebody I really like. I like her chances. I'm excited, but she's running. I said, oh, yeah, tell me. And he said, Kathy Barnett. And so that, that was that, that's an encouragement. I guess what I want to ask you, though, is General Flynn, um, the media tries to make him out, everybody, Trump, you, I'm sure, into things they're not. How do you compete in this uh, environment? You know, Pennsylvania is going to give you, you know, two big media markets, Philly and uh, and Pittsburgh, plus the edges of, uh, of, you know, down towards Delaware and all. It's hard to compete in the media when the media is so dishonest. Well, as of right now, I have gotten more national media coverage than all of the senatorial and gubernatorial candidates combined, with the exception of perhaps hmm. Senator Doug Mastriano, because he is everywhere. But outside right. of him, I have gotten more national media coverage than all of them. Um, so much so oh. that I, I turn it down at this point because it's just so much. Why is that? It's because I'm relevant. Um, it is because, I mean, you know, this is not the first time that the media, you know, the, I mean, and, I mean, even the liberal media, the Hill, the Philadelphia Inquirer and others are now reaching out to our campaign, um, and, and, and wanting to do interviews. And it's because I bring a certain level of authenticity when we're speaking about some of these issues from the more Republican leaning, um, media but for but when you're looking at the that that media segment that tends to lean left um i have become undeniable in many regards when you have a four-star general like general flynn talking about you i mean like that's really good news um and you know and regardless Mm -hmm. of we have to get out of the mindset that the liberal left is going to one day say oh now i get it you guys are right they're never going to do it. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, I honestly believe there will come a point when we get back to honest journalism and history books where they look at these liberals and say what most of us already believe is that there is something wrong with these people. They are not yeah. mentally whole. There's something deficient <laughs> about their ability to think logically. Because who thinks it's okay that we have little babies being tossed over border walls right now or little t- year old girls being um, gang raped by 14 year old boys inside of that little cage that Biden and Kamala have them in. Who thinks it's okay that Kamala and Biden has not been to the border? Who thinks it's okay that Kamala is in Guatemala talking about it's the American people's responsibility to give Guatemalans hope? None of this is logical. And so at some point, we got to get over the fact of thinking that we're going to convince the left that they're wrong. They're not. They're extremely arrogant. They know everything. All you have to do is ask them. And so we have to stop re- waiting for them. And we got to go ahead and do what we know to be right. We know we need a border wall. We know we- that China consciously allowed a virus to be released from their country and into the rest of the world, whether they um, deliberately or accidentally uh, released it. Who knows, right? Um, I'm leaning more towards accidental. We know that there's been a number of reports that talked about the sloppiness of that, of that particular Wuhan lab. But regardless, instead of us waiting for the liberal left to say, oh, you're right, it did. We know it did. The, the probabilities of that happening is very high. And so we know what it is that we need to do. We need to start waiting for these people to suddenly wake up and realize that they are wrong <laughs> and everything they touch fails. 
Well, I, I think um, that's a good uh, point to end on because you're right. You are relevant, but you're relevant because you're talented and smart and your perspective is real. So uh, that's important. So Kathy Burnett, Barnett, thank you. And I will see you. I just was checking. I'll see you on the, I think it's on the 18th at uh, up in uh, Stan Casasio. So yeah, yeah. So yes. I'll see you up there. So that'll be great. So good luck funny. with... <laughs> Oh, oh, good. Okay, good. Well, l- listen, good luck with everything. Keep in touch. Um, don't forget when you keep getting bigger and bigger to talk to the old uh, media folks who are with you early. So uh, we will wish you well and uh, keep tracking and good luck. God bless you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, we'll take a break. Again, it's Kathy Barnett. Excuse me. It's Barnett4Senate.com. I keep doing that and I'll put it all up on social media. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was a little bit fired up there, a little fired up today, so we got a lot going on. Hey, I'm going to introduce a... a, We had a a conflict where Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri was not able to come to the Collegians program that we did earlier tonight uh, on uh, on schedule. So he pre-recorded a message. It's about five and a half, six minutes long, and it's Hawley at its best. I'm going to play that audio for you, and we'll put it up on social media and encourage you to visit uh, phyllisschlafly.com and see all the other speakers as they come out from the Collegians. We had I think we had over 20 speakers, and, and then that included uh, John Schlafly, the great uh, John Schlafly, who writes a column every week. He was with me on set, and also the Phyllis Schlafly Collegians. It was our 28th annual. These last two have been virtual. It's been kind of a bummer to not be in the presence. We usually get 150 college-age students who are ready to hash it out and fight for uh, conservative uh, p- positions and learn about policies, and it's been great. So Listen to this Holly clip, and let me just set this up for you. Josh Holly, he's young. I mean, he's he's younger than I am. He's uh, I think he's in his um, early forties, maybe forty four, forty five, and he's educated all the right places: Stanford undergrad, I think, uh, uh, Yale Law School, and uh, came back to Missouri, which is where he's born and raised. And I've known him for years, and he's got a wonderful wife. Uh, both he and his wife clerked for the U.S. Supreme Court when they were done with law school. So that that that's, that that shows you're kind of at the big league level, right? You don't you don't get that job without being sort of the top. You not just the top schools you're at the top of the top schools right you're at the top of class it's very hard to do and and even the even the, a lot of the, the dorks and uh, the um, the nerds that study hard don't pull it off because you got to be able to it's it, it kind of requires everything a, a broad set of skills so um i mean it's still beyond smart it's kind of if you meet clerks there for the u.s supreme court i clerked for the court of appeals just below that and that was kind of People were pretty smart there, but uh, the Supreme Court's another thing. So anyway, they came back to Missouri. They got a couple of kids, and they're a great couple, uh, very smart. And Josh Hawley ran for and became the Attorney General of Missouri. And I actually believe people now, because he's so well-known uh, nationally, wonder how, you know, was he always on a, on a trajectory? I think he would have been happy to be Attorney General for a long time because he started suing the big tech companies. He started wading into things that nobody else would. He just, he's kind of... He's not kind of, he's fearless in his, what he believes. And he's a Christian and he believes in religious liberty and he really believes in pro-life. Uh, but he also is a guy that is uh, sort of a populist under the law. And he's saying, hey, wait a second, you know, we've got problems with the size and scope of big tech. We've got problems when our constitution is being stomped on. And especially, I'm especially proud that he is really clear eyed on the problem of China and the communist regime. And he has been regularly railing uh, against the communist regime. He's not pretending we're having a debate at a picnic. He's saying we're in a real battle for our future. In fact, just a few weeks ago, he was uh, in his committee, I think it was Judiciary Committee, and 
he was uh, doing a um, he was doing a um, interview. Excuse me, my phone went off. He was doing an interview. He was doing a, a, a he was grilling a senior executive for Microsoft, and the Microsoft executive was there and he was saying, now wait a second, you guys have a multi-billion dollar, I think it's $23 billion contract, Microsoft does, to supply computers to DOD. And Josh Hawley asked a simple question, tell me, are all the chips, the, the processing chips in your computers that you're selling to DOD, are they made in America? And the guy wouldn't answer, he kind of dodged. And Hawley said, well, wait a second, if you're making them in China or Taiwan, tell me, just tell me. And they kind of dodged. And as far as I know, they never got an answer. I heard from someone later that the actual the answer is they were made in China. And that's a huge problem, right? That's a huge problem. And Holly's honed in on it. He's fearless, so he's great. So listen to this clip from him. Again, it's our, our collegians. The, the theme was um, uh, worth fighting for, uh, uh, the fight worth fighting for. And so you'll hear that theme and just enjoy that. And I'll be back. We'll finish the show up. And just listen. Here's Josh Holly, Missouri's senator right now. Hey, everybody. Josh Holly here from the state of Missouri. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this event and part of this conference. It is great to be with you. You know, I know that that many of you, most of you, I think, are college students, and this has not been an easy time to be a conservative on America's college campuses. You know, it it wasn't that easy when I was doing it. Let's not count the years, but, you know, a number of years ago. But I know that uh, it's gotten even harder. And I bet this last year has been particularly challenging, maybe even depressing for many of you. And I just want to encourage you today to know that what you're doing is worth doing and taking a stand is worth it and that you can make a difference for the future of our country. And in fact, I go further than that. I would say that you are absolutely vital to making a difference for the future of the country. You want to see our country change. If you want to see our country be put back on track, if you want to see our country live up to what we can be, the greatness of our people, if you want to see that reflected in our country and in our government, boy, we need you now more than ever. We need your boldness. We need your courage. We need your conviction. And we need your hope. And I think this is a time when people feel so hopeless in many respects. But I just want to suggest to you that the person with the most hope has the most influence. And I think one of the best things that you can do is ask yourself, what gives you hope about our country? You know, for me, it is serving the people of Missouri and seeing the way Missourians live, seeing the kind of people they are, seeing the greatness of the people of Missouri. They're a great people. They're a strong people. They're a loving people. They are a great people. And I just have this conviction that it's not the American people who are the problem. It's certainly not the people of Missouri. It's a government that in many ways has failed them and let them down. And that means that we can change that. We can, we can change our government. We can elect new leaders. We can enact necessary reforms. But in order to accomplish those things, we've got to be willing to take a stand. So what is it that gives you hope for the future of our country? And how does that give you new passion to go out and to stand strong for it? Let me tell you one area where I think we need to stand strong. And that's when it comes to the big tech companies, social media, and the attempts by these corporate monopolies, and they are monopolies, to try and censor our speech, to try and control our politics, to try and control our government. You know, it's time we did something about that. And I know that they are very powerful. Believe me, I've seen it up close and personal, and I know that it can seem overwhelming. But I think that these companies are underestimating you. And I think they're underestimating the American people. Because the truth is, we've seen this part of the movie before. A hundred years ago, we had big, huge corporations in this country that really were not acting in the interest of the welfare of the people, that wanted to control politics and government, wanted to impose their agenda on the American people. And what happened was, the American people rose up and said, we're not going to stand for it. We're going to take our government back. 
we went on a trust-busting crusade as a nation a century ago. Republicans, by the way, led the effort. And I think it's time we did that again. I've written about this in, in my new book called The Tyranny of Big Tech. I think it's time that we as conservatives and Republicans say that, hold on, we believe in the free market, not a monopoly. We believe in competition, not in control. And we believe in free speech. We believe in the Constitution of the United States. And we're going to take our stand on the values that that Constitution puts in place as the cornerstone of our country. That's why I think we have got to embrace a trust-busting agenda for the 21st century that will get new competition back into our markets, that will bring these big tech companies to heal, actually treat them the way that every other company is treated in the country. No more special privileges, special giveaways for big tech. And it will put the American people back in charge again of their own speech, of their own information, of their own lives. That's only going to happen if we're willing to take a stand. It's only going to happen if you advocate for it and if you fight for it. So I would just say when it comes to big tech, one of the biggest challenges I think we face as a country, if we stand together, we can take these companies on. If we stand together, we can renew free market competition. If we stand together, we can renew the rights to free speech in this country. But we've got to be willing to stand together, to stand up for it and to fight for it. Which brings me back to where I started. What is it that makes you hopeful? I would just argue to you that there has never been greater opportunities that we face as a country. We face generational challenges. I mean, generational challenges. The biggest challenge, I think, to our government, to our society, to our culture that I've seen in my lifetime, we're facing right now from the radical left. But with that comes a generational opportunity. We have the opportunity to end the drift of the country. We have the opportunity to renew our sense of freedom, to renew our liberties in this nation, to renew the ability of the people to govern themselves. We have the ability to renew our families and to make them again the core of our national life, to bring jobs back to this country and to make sure we have an economy that will actually sustain our families and our neighborhoods and our community, a well-functioning free market. We've got things that, frankly, conservatives have let drift for many years now we have the opportunity to renew those. It's a generational opportunity, but we've got to have the hope to see it and be willing to stand up and to seize this moment. So I just encourage you to push forward. This is a fight worth waging, which I think is the theme for your conference this year. And think about what you're hopeful about. Think about the passion that will bring to you in the weeks and the months and the years ahead. And I just want to say God bless you. God bless your efforts on your campus. God bless your time. God bless your advocacy. I hope that you leave this conference encouraged to go to continue to fight for our country and all that we stand for. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A generation ago, American teenagers were taught not to resist arrest. But today, it's common for criminals to fight the arresting officer. It should go without saying that forceful intervention by police is sometimes necessary to arrest someone or halt a crime in progress. Yet it didn't take long for protests to crop up throughout the country after a white police officer in Columbus, Ohio, shot a belligerent black teenager. Video clearly shows the teen in the process of stabbing another girl when police officers arrived. But that didn't satisfy the mob. The cops came because of a 911 call urgently requesting protection against a knife attack. But that little tidbit didn't seem relevant to the enraged protesters either. If the right to a fair jury trial were secure, then the quick-acting police officer would have nothing to worry about. 
But the recent spectacle in Minneapolis cast doubt on whether cops or anyone else can expect a fair jury trial anymore. In a parody of justice, Derek Chauvin was convicted of murder for kneeling on the shoulder blade of the much heavier George Floyd, who was a former football lineman. A wacky theory of positional asphyxia was presented by a so-called medical expert for the prosecution, contrary to the official autopsy results, by the way. An alternate juror in the case said that she was persuaded by bizarre medical testimony, which pretended that the 140-pound Officer Chauvin murdered the muscular 230-pound George Floyd by kneeling on his upper body. This shoulder blade murder supposedly happened by blocking Floyd's lungs from working. Wrestlers, martial arts fighters, and football players endure far worse from opponents having greater weight, and the medical theory used to convict Chauvin is unknown in contact sports. The crackpot medical testimony included having jurors self-examine themselves in the jury box. This and other prosecutorial tricks should never have been allowed in a court of law. The American court system was designed to give anyone accused of a crime his fair day in court. If we let woke leftist politics invade our courtrooms, no American will be safe from dire political retribution. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, chairman Helen Marie Taylor, treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for all these great guests. And we got to wrap up. I went a little bit long with Kathy Barnett. Uh, so let me wrap things up. I got an email. I get emails from you all, emails and sometimes uh, direct messages. You can follow me on Parlor and Gab at Ed Martin, Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin, uh, Facebook, it's uh, Ed Martin Live, and over on YouTube at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, website, uh, excuse me, f- um, YouTube site, you can go there. But if you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you'll see a lot of interviews, excuse me, a lot of our interviews. You'll also see some of my, the transcripts of some of these segments and also you can sign up for the daily email you can also go to the contact button and send me an email through that and it goes right to my uh, email account so lots of different ways so i got a couple of stories sent to me uh early this earlier this week one was uh, an important one the u.s senate confirmed a woman to go on to the D.C. Court of Appeals. So the D.C. Court of Appeals is the most important federal court of appeals because it's in Washington, D.C., where obviously the federal government is based. So a lot of appeals go there and not as many appeals to the Court of Appeals across the country go to the Supreme Court, as you might think, you know, 40 a year. So a lot of the final decision is made by a Court of Appeals judge, in this case, the D.C. Circuit. Well, there's a woman that was confirmed uh, to the D.C. Circuit taking Merrick Garland's spot, Merrick Garland was promoted off the bench to be AG, if you can call it that. Her name is Katanji Brown Jackson. If you walk around D.C., you'll see signs for her. And it says, you know, confirm uh, Judge Brown Jackson. She's been a 
district court judge, federal judge for a couple years since Obama and Cade BJ. She's already getting her own initials like, uh, you know, RBG and all these things. And uh, Amy Comey Barrett, ACB. Well, her name is Katanji Brown Jackson, and she was confirmed to the U.S. Court of Appeals. And most people say she's African-American, that she is likely to be a pick for Joe Biden to the Supreme Court. And she's through now. There wasn't really any way. I talked to someone who was saying, you know, is there a way to stop this? And everyone said, you know, it's very unlikely to see how you stop it. She's very qualified. She's very smart. And I don't think that there was a fight anyone's going to have. So that's a big deal. KBJ, you know, put it in the back of your head that that could very well be. And she clerked for Justice Breyer. So the guy who is needed to resign for them to get a spot, Justice Breyer, one of his clerks could be up. And those guys love that. You know, I mean, guys and gals, judges love to have their own clerks become judges. It's kind of like um, if you've ever seen a football coach and you'll sometimes see somebody like Bill Belichick and they'll say, oh, show us his coaching tree and all of his assistants become head coach. You know, the number of assistants become head coaches and the number of assistants that go other places and coach. It's kind of a, a badge of uh, honor uh, for a coach to have a, a coaching tree that's successful. Same thing with judges. Judges like their clerks to go on and take big positions, especially become judges. So there's a good chance KBJ is who's coming up the bench to be on the U.S. Supreme Court, which is she's a liberal. I mean, she's a full blown liberal. But as I, again, I talked to someone who knows the politics of it. They say she'd be a tough one to beat back because she's had a, a long enough career on the bench. She hasn't been too wild, you know, too out of there in terms of her positions. Uh, and we'll see. So there you go. That was one one of you all sent me. Thank you for that. All right, we got to run. Thank you as always to Noah, our great producer and Joanna for booking our guests, and we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.